Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Chris Schroep. Chris leads high-tech product marketing at Model N, a compliance leader for high-tech manufacturers. Chris has deep experience defining product market fit and related new product development activities. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here. First, can you tell us how you got started in the semiconductors? That's a great question. Um, well, I guess I'd say ever since you know I was young, I was interested in technology, kind of taking things apart, uh, trying to put them back together again before I even know what an integrated circuit was. Um, and and then kind of I, I kind of stayed with that throughout you know my childhood and growing up. Um, and then when I was um, getting my MBA, I had the opportunity to work in uh, tech transfer. And so I worked at the technology transfer office at the University of Colorado, which is now changed its name to the Venture Partners. Um, and if anyone knows tech transfer, uh, it's an interesting uh, space. Essentially, it's uh, grant funded research. Um, that gets uh, owned by the uh, university and the technology transfer team is working with the professors, researchers, lawyers to pursue IP rights, gain funding, uh, and also find ways for commercializing the product as well. Um, that's kind of how I got into working with some double E professors uh, originally. Um, and now I work for a company, Model N, uh, who helps leading uh, semiconductor electronic component manufacturers sell. Uh, and innovate the and how they sell and innovate their products around the world. Oh, great story. So let me ask you, um, what are some of the trade regulation compliance challenges that semiconductor manufacturers are dealing with today? Yeah, sure. I I think this is a, a fairly hot topic today, based on what's happening in the news and globally. But before I answer that question, I do want to just uh, take a just quick lay of the land of the current environment of semiconductors. And so I think we all know it's a global nature of the industry, right? It, it operates in a highly interconnected global market, manufacturers having to navigate diverse trade regulations across different countries and then their, their distributors. There's, um, due to this, there's export, export control, which then also impacts licensing. Um, there's due to this as well, geopolitical tensions. Uh, you know, I think we can see uh, what's been happening continually in Taiwan. And then uh, we obviously are still in the midst of the Ukraine Russian war, which you know, also impacts the, so the input supplies to the semiconductor industry, right? And that increases, uh, causes some inflation and some input costs there. And then I think due to all this, there's a the supply chain complexity. Uh, and then all, because of that, microelectronics are pretty much everywhere. Uh, it's essential for every single industry. And um, they be, need to be very mindful because there might be entities who want the components, but they're not necessarily allowed to. And you as the manufacturer or the distributor need to, to manage that. And a lot of what you need to manage is the export uh, restrictions. So, um, the, and this happens country to country, and we can talk about different country, but 
uh, you and I are in the United States. And so within the United States, we have the Export Administration Regulations, the, the EAR. And, um, and then we also have the uh, entity list. And the entity list is essentially as a group of individuals, uh, entities, organizations that um, certain semiconductor products cannot be sold to or products in general uh, because they have national security impacts and so on and so forth. Uh, last year, actually, and, and while I unpack this, it's mindful to know that these things are dynamic. So based on political tensions, uh, administration changes, some of these restrictions can uh, come and go. Just last year in December, I think it was uh, the United States, uh, the you know Department of Commerce, Bureau of Industry and Security uh, just added another 36 Chinese entities to the entity list to not sell to. And then they also included nine Russian entities, right? And some of these were you know memory chip makers, surveillance technology companies, um, and now we just saw, I think it was a week or two weeks ago, the Biden administration is, is now thinking about putting on restrictions on um, a, a semiconductors that have uh, artificial intelligence uh, to ensure that certain countries, uh, specifically named as the Chinese, make sure they don't have AI guided uh, you know, missiles and things of that nature. So hopefully that helps. So what about new restrictions are there new export restrictions that go into effect you know what what will that mean for the industry I, i've read about quite a few of them sure sure i think it's a great question um i think based on the the nature of the industry i think the effects have there's two there i think is a macro level impact to these effects and then there's kind of a micro um or behavioral economics uh impact i think at the macro level any new restrictions are gonna cause some supply, additional supply chain disruption. Uh, could impact the, the flow of critical components and materials. So this could mean longer supply chain delays or even shortages in some instances. Um, market access limitation is another macro. Um, and then this also could impact R&D and innovation. Um, if certain uh, geographies around the globe cannot have access to this technology that, that reduces its total uh, penetration and uh, general applicability for this innovation in the industry. So I think at a macro level, that's how it impacts. But I think now getting to behavior and what are these organizations going to do, um, I think it's really going to put much more uh, emphasis on knowing what I'm selling to who and what is being used for. Um, connecting uh, all the way to the end use application uh, and trying to map that data back to the supplier. I think this means that you're going to need more companies going to be looking for how can I collaborate with distributors and others in the value chain to get this data, to analyze it, to make sure that we as a collective unit are not breaking these laws. Um, so just a glimpse into how I think this will impact the industry. Yeah, you mentioned distributors. That's a challenge because a lot of semiconductor companies do use distributors. And so what role do these channel distributors play in compliance? Yeah, I think it's spot on the head. I think there's probably only one or two uh, of these suppliers that don't have a distributor network. Uh, but for the most, you know, 
80 or 70% of revenues are coming through the channel. Largely, I think the distributors, they are an intermediary, right, in, in the value chain between the suppliers or the semiconductor uh, manufacturers to the end users. Um, and this means that because they're an intermediary, they have a critical role to play in compliance. Um, so this is compliance monitoring. Uh, distributors, because they're uh, bringing that sale to this entity down the, down the value chain, they have to, they are the ones responsible um, to adhere to these trade regulations, ensuring that certain products don't get sold um, or are restricted to a certain amount to certain entities. This additionally means they need to have um, at the forefront, at the time of uh, deal, negotiation, quoting, contract, they need to have, they need to reference uh, these entities across their customer master list and and other lists to make sure that they're not um, uh, partaking in these activities. But even more so, it's the documentation and record keeping uh, of what happens and what how it's all played out. Because the distributor must maintain these records if any uh, investigation was to come, if any information uh, was to be solicited by a government agency, having this documentation and record keeping uh, keeps them accountable and make sure that they were following the appropriate checks uh, through their commercial process. And all of this, right, the being an intermediary, having to do the compliance monitoring, documentation and record keeping, this all comes back to visibility. Visibility, visibility, visibility in a supply chain that has to deal with so many other entities. There's, you know, we got to deal with the contract manufacturers, there's resellers, there's brokers and others. And so having the visibility into the channel and the compliance is, uh, is really what I think you know, most of the distributors are trying to do today. It helps them stay within compliance, also view blind spots so that they can take you know, the next step to say, well, how do I optimize this opportunity? Or how do I stop this activity? So ho hopefully that helps. Yeah. You know, years ago, I worked with distributors when I was in the semiconductor industry, a chip company, and we, we always viewed them as, as plausible deniability, right? You know, you go through layers <laughs> of distributors and your chips, your chips end up where they shouldn't be. But um, so how, how can these channel distributors ensure gray market sales are truly discouraged? Yeah, I, I think it, um, well, as a distributor, I think it comes back, comes back to, is it an authorized authorized distribution um making sure that that the actual parts components the, the products uh that the distributors are are selling are actually coming from an authorized uh semiconductor manufacturer <laughs> or other authorized uh, if you're a contract manufacturer or potentially if you're a reseller if it's coming if you're buying it from a distributor making sure that that distributor is authorized as well uh, by the original supplier. Um, so authorized distribution is one, uh, to make sure that gray market sales are discouraged. Um, strict inventory controls, I think, is another one. Um, understanding what inventory you do have. Um, <clears throat> now, suppliers have lot and trace codes, which the distributors don't really know how to access or read, but um, really it's understanding what have I sold into the channel, sales in, sales out, um, ensuring that the products I'm selling are not being intermixed with another lot uh, because uh, potentially it could be 
some you know unauthorized products uh potentially even counterfeit when you start talking about the gray market there's all these different nuanced cases of what that product could be and how it could impact but really uh this comes back to transparency and traceability being able to trace back through the supply chain where this product was sold to whom and to what is the end market purpose okay fair say if you have a uh, satellite uh if you have a little uh, uh, satellite electronic that's that's meant for aerospace and potentially you know defense uh, reasons and uh some uh, some guy in their garage in california is calling you to say hey this isn't working like the power is not coming to it or, uh that's an issue how did that uh, component get to uh you know someone who's working in their garage um i think traceability and trackability um is a big impact there i think gray markets are huge i think B2C, they've been growing 60% uh, over the last six years. And, and B2B, you know, there's billions and billions of dollars every year that go through this channel. So um, I think it, you know, authorized distribution, inventory controls, traceability, and, and transparency uh, throughout the supply chain. Right. What about the manufacturers? You know, what is their role in managing their channel data and the relationships? I think as a manufacturer, um, you really, I think the idea is to be a steward. It's to be a steward of the business, to understand the products. Obviously you have, some of these manufacturers uh, have thousands of SKUs, right? Um, but understanding the routes to market, which channels, which end customers and geographies, um, it could be, because this all comes back to planning. Uh, what products are out in the market? Uh, what are aging? Uh, what what new innovations do I need to come in replace older technologies? And then so you can uh, and, and then that in addition to orders and so on and so forth creates this predictability, accountability, transparency of what's happening in the channel. So then you can be proactive uh, to service it. I think channel visibility, identifying um, <clears throat> really where the product's being sold to who. This also, you know, aligns very well with not breaking a regulatory uh, or, or legal uh, laws. And, um, and they need to be able to do this in a way that facilitates what I would call channel collaboration. Uh, I feel very much so, and, and Dan, I'd love to hear your take, uh, that there is this somewhat adversarial, and maybe you leave out the word somewhat, maybe there is, uh, somewhat an adversarial uh, relationship between suppliers uh, and the distributor network, uh, fighting over margin uh, deals, quantity breaks. And so really this is about uh, creating more channel collaboration. And what does that mean? Um, to make sure that the supplier and the distributor and others don't get you know, cuffs, don't wear orange, aren't fined millions of dollars, what I think they need to be doing together and collaboratively is sharing data. Uh, manufacturers should be collaborating with channel distributors to share relevant data on product shipments, inventory levels, customer information, um, keeping out PII. And then another is channel partner auditing. 
for the manufacturer to regularly audit channel partners to help make sure the manufacturer is staying in compliance, making sure that the products are being properly handled, and adherence to pricing policies. If you have one broker buying uh, in in one country and then shipping it to the UK at another price point, right, that's another gray market activity which you don't want. Uh, it also brings down brand, you know, impacts a brand perception if there's issues with the product, you know. Um, so those are a couple other things. And then the last thing I would say is um, the data sharing, channel partner auditing, training and support. Now most of the distributors are fairly are fairly. Uh, understand the legal environment, but I think training and support of your channel partners are important to make sure that they know what can be sold and what can't be sold and why due to certain regulations. So, Dan, ho hopefully that helps. I kind of went on a little monologue there, but. No, that's fine. You know, I, I managed uh, distributors uh, in, in my career uh, a little bit of the time, and uh, honestly, it wasn't my favorite job, but it really was, a, for me, it was about trust. You know, I had to trust them because there were so many ways that they could behave badly if they wanted to. But you had to, you know, have a trusting relationship with these people that the data they were giving you is, in fact, correct and that they wouldn't, you know, um, go through the gray market and such. But, you know, one of the big deals now, and this is why this comes up and this is why I'm happy to talk to you, is, you know, the war in Ukraine, uh, when it first broke out, uh, the Ukrainians some Ukrainians contacted me and gave me a list of chips that they're finding in the Russian weapons. And they want to know about the chips, you know, uh, where are they from? What do they do? How recent are they, et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, it was eye-opening because there's so much U.S. content in these weapons um, that, again, could be used against us. And so now it's we, we actually know about the gray market for chips. We know these chips are going to places they're not supposed to go. We probably wouldn't have known this except for the Ukrainian war, and that's a shame. But now we're getting a lot more data, and so hopefully we're acting on this. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's the hope that we act on the data that we receive. Um, and I think um, it, it's interesting to know, and when you talk about the gray market and different routes that companies can take it, it's really, it's, it's not a clear uh, science. A lot of the times it's taking lot and trace codes uh, that were found in these products, right? Or within a drone and then said, hey, and, and then trying to map that back to what were the lot and trace codes that were sold to the distributors. And running these kind of uh, rudimentary tests to say, um, you know, was this the issue? Is this the, is this the point in the value chain where it's, gone out and um, talking to a number of uh, executives in the high-tech or semiconductor manufacturing space, you know, it's really kind of hard. Um, and oftentimes what, it's not just the distributors, they've mentioned you know, contract manufacturers uh, and other parties who are selling overstock inventory. Um, and one of, our, one of the co co companies that we work with very closely has actually just gotten rid of working with brokers altogether. Uh, because that's what they found. That was the source of leakage for all these products getting out into the wild where they shouldn't be. And by cutting that out, they've reduced the number of inquiries from you know the government sub, 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 uh, substantially. <clears throat> so I would say yes, it's the distributors, but there's a lot of others in the in the value chain, and it's really coming back to uh, how you can trace this back, traceability. Right. So final question. You're just to sum things up. You know, there's a sense that manufacturers are having to keep 
um, reacting to external forces, you know, economic, regulatory, geopolitical. Um, you know, you're arguing they need to be more proactive. I mean, how do we do this? You know, can you elaborate? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I, I do think being proactive in general is a really is a really great um, thing to do. I think you know, this goes back to strategic planning. How do you diversify your portfolio across you know markets, your customer base, regions? Um, you know, having closer involvement with the government is a great uh, another avenue as well. Uh, making sure you know trade security, industry growth, making sure you can work with the Department of Commerce, the Bureau of Industry, um, and others to make sure that you can appropriately uh, manage that risk. And then risk management comes back to strategic planning and then the diversification piece. So I think, you know, due to the nature of the business, manufacturers really need this real-time channel data um, to manage the topic that we're talking about today, the, the gray markets, trade regulations, um, so that they can make sure that they're towing the line, not stepping into a boundary or an area that they're not um, necessarily uh, intended to by themselves or the government. And I think it really, it's the manufacturers must gather the right information to make these strategic decisions. If you're oftentimes they're looking at order data, a lot of, that's, la that's lagging data for the most part, In incoming orders, it's very reactive. And so moving proactively, I think it's looking, what's the market fluctuations? What are the shifts? Uh, what's the evolving landscape? Um, and if you know, if you can trace, tra trace back to, we were talking at the beginning, the end use applications, this can help with planning, uh, production, and, and, and shipments as well. Um, you know, with it, you know, all, all of these things, are clear visibility into the products where they're sold um, and into the channel, it, all this is, gives you a wealth of knowledge and, and input into other critical decision-making processes, like what's the price gonna be? What are my sales expectations? Um, what, are, what are some uh, regulatory compliance issues? And so um, that's what I would say, that we, we need to move towards leading versus lagging data. And uh, Model N, we do this uh, annual report and survey every year. It's called the uh, State of Revenue Report. And um, some of the information that we've, we've seen in that is that uh, 97% of surveys that surveyed executives want to have, right? And these executives are from high-tech manufacturing companies. They 97% want to have data and analytics capabilities. Uh, to help with their, you know, how they manage revenue and those programs, the channel programs. But at the same time, only 62%, uh, 62% said that they have the, they don't have the current ability to do so. So there's one thing to make the shift, but there's another to actually enable that shift. So you're hiring the right, uh, uh, hiring the right talent, having the right tools and systems in place to enable that. If you're using spreadsheets today to manage channel visibility, lot and trace code tracking, uh, all of you know, all the channel data um, information that helps feed into your process, uh, you're likely missing out. And so there's opportunities to optimize not only your talent, but the systems and processes that, that underline all of that. Um, because if you're using 
siloed, inaccurate, outdated, or even missing uh, lagging data, uh, that's not doing, you're not doing a good service to yourself when we talk about strategic planning, diversification, risk management. And so, um, Dan, I think right now is a really great time. I don't know if you've looked at the forecast for the next couple of quarters, but we're still, I think, in a, uh, for, as an aggregate, a slow growth coming out. Uh, we'll see what happens in FY23, but 24 still, I think, will be fairly slow growth. And so now is the time when I think a lot of high-tech executives today might have more breathing room than they did before to say, let's take this opportunity to innovate how we service our customers, how we manage the channel, how we stay competitive. Because, you know, ebbs and flows, when the market comes back up again, uh, you're just gonna be trying to uh, fight as hard as you can to meet demand, get the product out the door and make your channel happy. So I think now's the time really to take take an opportunity to, to really assess it now. But, and it's a timely time to do it. I mean, talking about drones and coming in from Russia and Iran and and all the like, so. Yeah, I, I think the drone stuff's gonna be really interesting because there's even drones coming out of North Korea. There's gonna be drones coming out of every country. And you know, some of these countries have been on the no ship list for semiconductor companies for years, but yet they have an active drone program. But uh, anyway, you know, the bottom line is you guys are gonna be busy. Uh, how do companies normally contact you? How, how do people engage with Model N? Uh, anybody can reach out to us at uh, www.modeln.com. And if you'd like, uh, you can, if you want to reach out to me individually and kind of pick my brain, uh, anyone can search Chris Schrope uh, on LinkedIn and more than happy to connect. Great. Thanks for your time, Chris. It's a pleasure, Dan. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening and have a great day. Thank you.